Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. here I just felt like that we needed to hear not to mention uh, counsel from my elders of coming together and praying together just sitting in a room praying together asking God to speak to us where we are here and uh, my plan is to end by sharing those moments we've had together with you uh, so that you can have an answer and let me tell you this I, I told the elders I think when you're serving a God as big as our God Sometimes the wisest answer you can give a person is, I don't know. Because uh, if you're ill-informed, you could misrepresent God and what he's doing and how he's doing it. So I think instead of being over-religious, if you don't know, it's best to say, I, uh, I don't know, instead of throwing out some theme that you may have. Matter of fact, I've listened to some of the biggest preachers of the world that's got the biggest platforms that are being asked this question that are simply saying, I don't know. When they're asked if this is God, they're just simply saying, I don't know. Uh, but I took it into prayer and took it before the elders, and we've prayed about it. So I want you to go with me this morning, and I really want you to, we prayed it this morning, which is another thing I want to encourage you. There'll be no service in this building tonight. We are still having midweek uh, Bible classes. But what I see happening right now, it's in our prayer times together. God is revealing some things in our prayer time this morning. Uh, and we will change our Sunday morning prayer to, uh, uh, time until they shut us down completely. I'm staying in compliance with the Sheriff's Department. I promise you that. Uh, but we'll start prayer at 10 o'clock so that you won't hang out in the foyer so much. Uh, we won't be opening the coffee shop and hanging out in there. And so we'll be having a Sunday morning prayer and our midweek prayer is moved to six o'clock and we'll pray from six to seven and go into our Bible study. But God keeps speaking in these prayers. And then if you're not on flock note, if you're not on flock note, raise your hand. If you're not, you need to get with Josh afterward because right now that's our main source of communication. We may call spontaneous prayer you know, spontaneous worship. And if you don't want to miss that, if you're on flock note, you're going to know what we're doing. Amen. So uh, I'm going to step way out there this morning, uh, I believe, to try to uh, give you some answers. And the reason I want you to have some answers is because when your family does ask, I would like to, you to have some type of scriptural reference or to maybe look at God from a little broader view uh, this morning so that you may can lead your family in the right direction. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to deal with is the question, did God cause the coronavirus? Now, first of all, before I share my thoughts or my theme of thought, it needs to be acknowledged that our God is a sovereign God. Amen? Sovereign God meaning, amen, that... He is the supreme ruler of the universe. He is the creator of all mankind. Amen. Everything emanated out of God. He is the supreme ruler. Amen. He has infinite wisdom. He sees the end of a thing from the beginning. All of the things which you cannot. Can I get a witness? Amen. So having, and I've just got a little disclaimer here before I go into what I think, that he is a sovereign God and he does and he has acted. Uh, let me see how am I going to say this. He does and has, we have scriptural proof that he has acted independently of man as it relates to judging his people. Amen. God always works through the channel of man, amen, as it comes to executing his will on earth, amen. In other words, he don't use mankind to judge another man. I can't come cut your head off because you're not serving God. There's religions that does that. Are you following me? But he has and he does, amen, as it relates to judging, correcting, and the disciplining of humanity, 
uh, outside the will of God. Your Bible teaches, and I can't ignore it and you can't ignore it. Your Bible teaches that, um, that, that there has been times caused by God of extreme drought, of extreme flood. Are y'all with me this morning? And yes, even in your scripture, even diseases. All of which, though, were manifestations of the mercy of God and the grace of God, either to bring his children back to him, amen, or to advance uh, his eternal purpose for all humanity. But having said that, and I need you to stay with me all the way through, having said that, I think we pastors need to be very cautious when we contribute crisis to the doings of God. Are y'all staying with me now? Amen. I don't want you to just sink your teeth into one statement I make. We're going to try to see the big picture. I'm going to repeat that again. I think we pastors need to be very cautious and prayerful when we, or before we try to contribute crisis to the hand of God. Amen. But on the other hand, the love and the mercy of God can be manifested in ways we just don't understand. Because we see everything in a temporal state when our Heavenly Father sees things from an eternal perspective. Hebrews chapter number 12 plainly teaches us that God does, amen, chastise the ones that He loves as a loving Father does. Now that word chastise translates to the word discipline or corrects the one that He loves. Now, what form of correction comes, what form that correction comes in is determined by the Father. And it's only fully understood by the Father. And therefore, I think that it is ill-advised, if you will, for us pastors to automatically contribute national and global catastrophes to the chastisement of God. But what I do know is according to Hebrews chapter number 12, 10 through 12, it says this, Our fathers corrected us according to their own judgment, but God corrects us and disciplines us for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Having said that, I want to make this statement, that our father, the scripture just said, disciplines us for our profit. Well, it stands to reason to me that our destruction would not be very profitable. Amen? So I think we're in error when we say God is a drive-by shooter or, or God is destroying lives or, or, or God is, 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 is killing. I, I think we can be in error in that and there's a perspective, uh, amen, that it needs to be put in, amen, because any discipline that comes from the Father is profitable for me. Are y'all following me? It's profitable for me. And then we got to look at it on a global scale. Amen. That it is profitable for the body of Christ. Amen. There were times, amen, that maybe as a child I didn't understand the discipline of my father. Did anybody's father's hand ever get real heavy on you? <laughs> that the father's hand can get heavy. Amen. But know this, if the father is the source of the correction, amen, then it is always going to be profitable, not destructive. Amen. So now that I shared that little disclaimer with you, letting you know that I would never stand here really and say this is the hand of God or this is not the hand of God because he is a sovereign God. And I think unless you are a prophet of all prophets that pastors need to be careful in doing so. But now I want to share with you where God took me in prayer to give you a legitimate answer. Okay? Uh, in doing so, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 27. Uh, I do have quite a few scriptures, but we're really early today. Amen. And if some of you are watching online uh, that were unable to be here today, uh, we apologize that we didn't uh, stream worship 
But we did that for legal reasons, but we hope by next week to have that lined out uh, because there is a special anointing on our worship right now as well that we want you to be a part of. Acts chapter number 27. I want to give you just a little bit of a, uh, a prequel here. Uh, Paul was arrested and was headed to Rome to stand before Caesar. Caesar. So he is in a slave ship with, with a bunch of slaves, a slave ship being transported to Rome. And in the midst of that uh, trip, there was a great storm. I'm going to tie storm and crisis together today to make it relative for us, okay? He was in the midst of the storm. <coughs> a great storm came. I want to jump in there and pick some scriptures out. 27 and verse number 10. And he said unto them, meaning Paul said unto them, Sir, remember he's a prisoner, he's in chains, and he's talking to uh, the commanders, the Roman commanders, the owners of the ship. Sir, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. I want you to notice things you've got to pick out from here. God spoke to Paul and told Paul to tell them there's about to be trouble. They could have avoided the trouble by listening to Paul. Okay, is that established? Didn't he tell them? He said, I need you to know that if you follow through, the ship's going to be destroyed and even lives can be destroyed. But look at verse number 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Drop down to 14. I'm just skipping a lot. I love this story. You can go back and read it. So they set sail, number 14, but not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called the Eurocladon. I don't know about the irony of this, but that literally means a storm from the east. Y'all know where this storm came from? <laughs> we'll read that again, 14. Not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called the Eurocladon. Drop down to 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened to me and not have loosed from Crete to have granted this harm and loss and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Look at that. Even though you disobeyed, I got good news. I got hope. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but the ship is going down. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. However, somebody shout however. However, we must be cast upon a certain island. Uh, look at verse 40. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves to the sea, and they loosed the rudder bands, hoisted up the mainsails to the wind, and made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forefront stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the back part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any one of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to the land. 28.1 and when they were escaped, 
Then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. For they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, they came out a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Somebody could say Paul was having a bad day. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance has suffered him not to live. <coughs> Pardon my cough. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. However, they looked when he should have swollen or he should have fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously, and it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and they were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they loaded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in another ship of Alexandria, which was entered in the isle, whose name was Castor and Pollux. There is uh, three different storms slash crises. There's three different crises recorded in the New Testament, two of which Jesus was directly affected by and involved in. The other one was Paul, uh, who was caught in the Eurocladon, or a storm from the east. Amen. And in the first storm, amen, the Bible says that Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the ship. And the storm was about to take the ship down. And the, the waves were covering the ship, the Bible says. And uh, uh, they came and woke Jesus up. And said, Master, don't you care? We're about to die. Amen. And the Bible says that Jesus came out of the, bow, uh, the bottom of the ship, stood on the bow of the boat, and he rebuked the wind. And he calmed the, and he commanded the waves to be calm. And your Bible says that the winds and the sea uh, became into a great calm. Amen. But there's another crisis in the Bible with another storm that came. And in that storm, they were in mass revival. Multitudes are being saved, amen, on the bank. And the Bible says Jesus hurried the disciples into the boat and said, go to the other side, amen. Go to the other side. Can you imagine the disciples not wanting to leave? Hundreds are hearing the gospel. There's things to be done. they got to clean up after all of the, the bread and the fishes are gathered. But for whatever reason, Jesus is expediently pushing them into a boat and telling them to go to the other side while he remained behind. Amen. And the Bible says when they got out into the midst of the sea, there came another storm. Uh, and uh, the, the storm was destroying the ship, and they were afraid for their lives. But the Bible says that Jesus came to them walking on the water. Amen. So now we got the picture of one storm, that crises, that Jesus stood and rebuked. But we got another storm that didn't get rebuked, but Jesus actually used it as an opportunity for Peter to walk in a dimension of faith that would have been impossible without the storm. Are you going with me? Amen. So you got to be careful, amen, that Jesus rebukes all storms 
and when you say that he causes all storms. Because we have no scriptural reference whatsoever that he caused either storm. Matter of fact, I'll submit to you that the storm was not the will of God because the first storm was not the will of God because Jesus stood on the bow of the ship and he rebuked it. If he would have rebuked the storm, he, uh, I mean, if it would have been God's will, he would have been rebuking God for sending the storm. Amen. Now, I just need us to weigh this out. Come, let us reason together. I'm not preaching. Amen. The second storm, amen, uh, I would assume, and I am only assuming because God is a sovereign God, and I'm not here today, amen, to be definitive on uh, uh, exactly how God deals with his people in the world. Amen. But we would assume because the first storm was not the will of God because Jesus rebuked it. I would assume the second storm was not the will of God, amen. But in essence, Jesus knew the storm was coming. Instead of rebuking the storm, he gave his church the opportunity to see him in a dimension they would have never seen him without the storm. Are you listening to me? Which leads me to this statement. That's why we as the church, like Jesus, have got to be led by the Spirit of God to know what to rebuke and what to embrace. What to demand to be diminished and say, God, give me the strength to climb out of this boat and still live at a level that transcends the crisis that we are in. Uh, is anybody in this place this morning? Can we take it deeper? So in other words, the crises, uh, I think we've done error by trying to put the blame on God and we've missed the whole point of the sermon. Am I making sense to anybody? In other words, the crises was Peter's opportunity to experience a dimension of faith that otherwise would be impossible. May I submit to you right now, amen, your faith, Hey, the, the, if you will do inventory, if you will do inventory, your greatest growth spurts of faith was in the greatest crises of your life. Can I get a witness this morning? Amen. Not when it was good. Not when everything was hunky-dory, whatever that means. Not when everything was well. Not when all the bills was paid. Not when all the kids was well. Amen. Not, not when everything was flowing. But I can give you testimony after testimony that I experienced God in a dimension I never would have experienced Him had I not been through crisis. Amen. Matter of fact, every crisis is your opportunity to to know God like you've never known him before. Can I share my little testimony? Amen. I would have never knew that God could heal brain damage but by your word until me and my family went through a crisis in our life where the doctors diagnosed my daughter with brain damage and said it could take her life and she'd never be normal. It was in that crisis that our faith had the opportunity to go to a dimension we would have missed without the storm. So what are you saying, Pastor? God calls this crises and storm. <clears throat> You're not pulling me into that rat race today, amen. I'm just telling you, he never wastes an opportunity. Oh, somebody ought to get a hold of that. Amen. The devil works for God. God. The devil don't do things. Are you listening to me? He'll put a leash on the devil. Amen. He, he never wastes a hurt. He'll take these opportunities. Joey, did God use an opportunity four weeks ago when a man dropped dead back there? Amen. And he came back to uh, crises or opportunities sometimes that we're rebuking when we ought to be saying, Lord, give us the faith to climb out of this boat and show Show people how to live in the midst of turmoil. The point being of these two, there are some storms which God expects us to use our faith and rebuke it. There are some things you should not let invade your life. Amen? There's some devils you should not let invade your life. That's why it's so important to be a spirit-filled believer right now. Amen. And then there's sometimes we need to pull out of the archives the message that Kamal preached. Do y'all have a title for that sermon on tribulation? 
Enduring hardships, it's on our podcast if you want to go. We need to pull that back out that sometimes God will use the hardships, amen, to bring glory to his name. Did not Paul tell them? I'm telling y'all by discernment, do not leave. Do not sail. And they said, we're going to sail anyway. Well, God said, you know what? Ben, you're going to sail. I'm going to take what the devil's intended for harm, and I'm going to turn it around, and I'm going to transform an entire island. So the point being, there are some, some storms which God expects you to rebuke your faith, which means to restrain, cause to restrain it, to stop it, to calm it, to command it to be calm. But there are other times God expects us to mount up with wings as eagles. Come on, live church. They sometimes he expects us to step up and to lean against the wind. Amen. Because there's some around us, the scripture said, that said he should swell up any minute and he should die any minute. But when he didn't swell up because of the difficulty, they said, oh my God, he's not a sin. Oh, y'all ain't listening to me. Amen. But we want to play everything out of our lives and everything to be hunky-dory. And then you got the doomsday preacher that uses it as God's up there with a big hatchet in his hand killing everybody. And then you got the love of God preacher who don't understand love. And it said God loves too much to let us go through anything. Somebody say, we're going to bring balance today. Now the third crisis, there's two crises God handled in two different ways. Right? Neither one of them have we established because the scripture didn't establish that God caused either one of the storms. Amen. I don't even believe that all these natural disasters are the act of God. I'm so tired of preachers saying that. I can believe what I want to believe. Amen. I don't believe God's a drive-by shooter. Amen. That just tears up churches and families with storms. Amen. This whole world is in convulsions. Amen. The Bible said the whole earth is groaning. Groaning, amen, for the manifestation of the sons of God. Can I tell you something? True sons will only be manifested out of the ash heap of trial and tribulation and trouble, amen. I'm telling you, fair weather Christians are going to diminish, but true sons are going to stand on the sinking ship and say, be of good cheer, folks. God said we're going to reach our destiny. I come as pastor of this church to say, be of good cheer. Because God done told me, we're going to win. Watch out before you shout too loud. We're going to go somewhere. The third crisis when Paul was selling to Rome and the Eurycladon totally destroyed their system. I meant their ship. I'm just going to let that sink in a minute. The storm totally destroyed their slave ship. The, wait on me, Helen. The storm said, this ship is not fit for my people to be traveling on because they're bound up by a Roman system. Oh, I knew the Holy Ghost was going to reveal some stuff. They're bound up by a Roman system. Amen. Are you listening to me? So it's not fit for you to travel on to your destiny in stocks and bonds and under the rulership of somewhere else. So the Bible says the storm destroyed the ship. They had to swim to bank. <laughs> I love it. They're hanging on the boards, kicking their feet. Paul saying, it's going to be a good day, y'all. Come on, somebody. We need a preacher of hope. Amen. To quit saying we're all going under and we're all going to die. The devil is a liar. Grab you a broken piece right now. It may be one scripture. And put it around you and kick your feet and say, we're going to Rome. We're going to our destiny. We're going to make it out of this. Acts 27. In the midst... <laughs> of the crises. Y'all overlooked my cough. I had cough before cough was cool. <laughs> or I had to cough before the cough was forbidden. 
Paul stood in Acts 27 in the midst of them and said, Be of good cheer, for I believe God it shall be even as it was told me. God is bringing the real from the, the saint from the ain't. Amen. You know what gave Paul? <laughs> that was pretty good. Amen. I probably got it from somebody else. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. You know what gave Paul consolation? He was hearing what other people was not hearing. This is a time where Christians are going to have to go to a depth of prayer that I know what God is saying. I know what he is saying. And I may be kicking my feet and shivering, shivering and freezing in the, in the aftermath of this crisis. He said, but I believe. Somebody shout, I believe. When you believe it will be like God said, you can say, be of good cheer in the midst of the crisis. I'm telling you, we got to take the narrative back up. Did God do it or not? And start finding out, God, what you doing in it? Because it'll separate bodies and churches when no one, I ain't going to say that. Somebody might know. Be of good cheer for I believe that it shall be as told me. However, somebody shout however. Oh, my God, we're in the midst of a however. I said we're in the middle of a however. I believe we're going to win this battle. However, I believe I'm coming out of this. However, amen. We said we believe God can heal Lacey of brain damage. However, the doctor's report said put her on medication. Do this, do that. Does anybody uh, uh, agree with me? We're in the midst of a however right now. Paul said, I believe. However, the problem with us preachers, we don't know how to preach both sides of this. We either preach we all going to hell in a headbasket or God's so good nothing ever happens to us. We need to be able to preach a however that God is good. However, oh God, somebody help me. He is good. However, we are in a crisis right now. Y'all get a load of this. <coughs> however, we must be cast upon a certain island. We must be cast upon a certain island. What? What? She said we must, or the Bible said, we must be cast upon a certain island. The word cast means to be driven out of one's course. Are y'all with me today? Ekpipto. <laughs> y'all quit laughing at the Hebrew language. Spoken in Louisiana vernacular. Ekpipto. We must be driven off course. I'm just letting you preach right now. We must be driven off course. It means, I'm giving you Hebrew definition, to lose, to become inefficient. We must become inefficient in the current system in which we're sailing. It means to take none effect. In other words, Paul is saying, be of good cheer. I know we're in a crisis. I know that our systems are failing. I know our world is in turmoil, but God is still in control. Paul is saying that this crisis is actually going to blow us off course and position us in the perfect center of God's will. Oh my God. I don't know if y'all are catching this. He said it's going to blow us off course. But we must be cast upon a, not just any island, 
Amen. There was islands everywhere, but there was a certain island where God had a job to be done. Is anybody listening to me? Amen. And Paul said, uh, amen, if you're not careful, you get so focused on the crises and everything that's going on, when in reality, it's literally positioning, positioning us right in the center of God's will to spread his goodness and his gospel on a level that may not have been reached before. Oh, are y'all seeing this? Amen. And it took a storm from the east to blow us off course. I just the irony of it, I can't pass up. He said, I know we've been driven off course and we have become inefficient. We're in the midst of total chaos. Paul was literally hanging onto a piece of broken ship saying, I know God's going to get the glory out of this. I need you from six foot away to tell your neighbor, I know God's going to get the glory out of this. I know, come on, come on, I need somebody to help me to shed some hope in this sanctuary. Somebody look into that camera and tell all of our, our, our the rest of them. I'm telling you, God's going to get the glory out of it. Amen. So as a result of a crisis that blew their ship off course and changed their entire trajectory, an entire nation was swept into the kingdom of God. Maybe you, church, you, Christian, listening to me, we need to come out of hiding and scared to death of this thing. Maybe we need to come out of hiding and realize God has positioned us to answer questions people weren't asking before. Huh? They weren't calling you and asking you, is this the end? What's about to happen? Amen? Well, if we're living in the same fear they're living in, we don't have any... We don't have a platform to stand on. Because... I'm trying to be real careful because somebody, somebody's going to take my words too far. He said, we must be cast upon a certain island. Paul said, it's necessary that we get blown off course. Now, mind you, I'm going to use that profound scripture, all things work together for the good. Paul told him from the beginning if you'll stay put, you'll avoid the crises. Amen? If you'll stay put, you'll avoid the crises. God had to show him that, right? But even in the midst of crises, amen, when a nation is in disobedience or when, when, when the world is sailing on a system that needs to be altered, amen, e -e 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 even, when, even when the enemy comes against it, and blows it off course. God always has a plan. God always is able to take it and advance his kingdom with it. Amen. Which is what's happening right now. So maybe we need, uh, the narrative needs to be changed from did God do it to what is God doing with it. Somebody write that down. Change the narrative. Because it don't do nothing but put turmoil in your mind. Amen. And you start wrestling with the nature of God. Can I tell you he's too big for you to wrestle with? Amen. You can know this. He's a loving father that only does anything that is profitable for you. And some of the most profitable times in our lives was when our father spanked us. But I'm challenging this church to not get in debates with did God do this? And we're going to turn it around because we're going to teach you how to pray is what is God doing with it? Let me tell you something about my God that I do know. He is the master at taking broken systems and building his kingdom with it. He is the master, Nehemiah, of taking burnt rubbish and rebuilding the kingdom of God with it. He is the master of taking what you think that is hopeless, totally hopeless, and turning it around and building something that changes the, trajectory, to, to, the direction of our hope towards God. Here's the scripture you've been waiting on, Romans 8, 28. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to this purpose. Can I tell you something? This scripture does not say God causes all things. Amen? 
but it does say that all things work. He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. In other words, God can cause good things to come out of bad situations. Only God can take hopeless situations and turn them into opportunities to manifest His goodness. Paul's ship was blown off course. His, his life was totally turned upside down. Totally started. And when he got to the bank, he started building a fire. And when he started building a fire, a snake comes out of the fire and bites him. Have you ever tried to do something good for Jesus and get bit? Oh, y'all ain't going to help me right there. Amen. Have you ever decided to get closer to him and get bit? Have you ever start, try, Have you ever noticed when you try to build the fires of revival in your own soul, you get snake bit? Problem is, a lot of us die from the poison rather than shaking it off and moving forward. Are, are y'all listening to me? That's a whole nother sermon. Amen. But... <coughs> You'll never build up the fires of the kingdom and not get snake bit. People will come against you. People will talk about you. I'm going to get talked about for having this service today. Amen. Amen. I'm going to get stabbed. I'm going to get shot at. Amen. But be it known unto this body, no weapon formed against me can prosper. I'm just saying, when they, Courtney, when y'all started this song, all of a sudden this song took on a whole different meaning. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it will not prevail. All of a sudden, we're standing in a place to where it's kind of uh, dangerous or scary to go to church. Amen. Now, all of a sudden, worship takes on a whole new front. Uh, now, I mean what I'm saying. No weapon formed against me. Is anybody in this house is going to prosper? Death or darkness is going to fall at his feet. How many times have we sung that and didn't even know what we were singing until darkness has drifted over us? But where are we at today? We're in this sanctuary with our hands lifted high. Amen. I'm wanting to get on my soapbox, but I don't want to. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see. Come on, y'all chime in. I'm going to see a victory. Come on. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to the Oh, I'm hitting it right now. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to see. Come on. I'm going to see a victory. Why? Lacey, please help me. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And the, the majority of the church right now is scared to death because we think we got to fight this battle. Do we believe it or do we not believe it? Is anybody in this place this morning? Uh, the Holy Ghost uh, told me this morning in worship, said somebody is condemning you right now, telling you you're not using wisdom. Right in the middle of worship. And he said, let me tell you why. He said, no, he said, they're right. And I said, oh my God. I started shut. everybody go home. God said, they're accusing you of not using wisdom. And they are right. You are not using the wisdom and the logic that comes from man. Because you're thinking on a higher level. That's what he told me. Amen. So don't expect everybody to understand who's thinking on human wisdom and logic because it's not logical, Chinese person. It's not logical for you to go to church when if they find you, they're going to cut your head off. You need to use some wisdom. Are y'all with me? Now all of a sudden when I'm in worship, I start thinking about my Chinese brothers that had to sneak into a church. I wonder how many of their family is saying, you're not using wisdom. They could come kill you and your kids. Amen. Uh, but they're more conf I knew I was going to get in trouble. I knew I was going to get in trouble. Let's, let's get on with the course. His shit was bl blown off course. When he got to the bank, he started building a fire. He got snake bit. And they said, this chaos is going to take him out. 
So they stood and they watched for him to go under. They're standing and they're watching. Oh, somebody better get this word right now. This is no time for the church to go in hiding. Amen. This is no time for the church to falter. This is no time for me to be fearful and afraid of, oh my God, oh my God, what are we going to do? What happens if you and if I and if I, amen. My God, I got, I'm trying to behave on so many statements that's not necessary. Help me, Holy Ghost. Are you listening to me? And they're watching. But in this darkness, I don't know how dark it's going to get, but it's going to get darker. Can I get a witness? Amen. It's going to get bleaker, amen, as this economy uh, in the aftermath of this economy that's coming maybe not to the end of this year, amen. But let me tell you, there's a world out there that ought to be able to look at us and say, they're not swelling up, they're not dying, they're not afraid, they're not fearful, they're not running, so they changed their mind. It took a crisis to change the world's mind. Woo! I said it took a crisis to change heathens' mind. And then they turned around and began to honor them. Maybe God's going to use crisis to restore honor to the kingdom of God. Oh, my God, there's a word for you. He's going to restore honor because there's a bunch of believers that's got some backbone about them. Instead of acting like a hypocrite out there. Whoops, that come out in a wrong spirit. Paul said, I need to quit. We will reach Rome, but we must be cast on a certain island. We're going to reach our destiny, but we're going to go through a necessary crisis to get there. Some things I will prophesy about. God did tell me I will use this crisis to recalibrate my church and restore true north. True north. It is recalibrating already. It's recalibrating already. I didn't come here. I, I don't know if you expected me to come out and say God did all of this or God didn't. But are you seeing? That's not the, the narrative that we're after this morning. I come to tell you that God is going to take Romans 8, 28, what the devil has intended for harm. Or, and, and this scripture, will even leave that. All things work together for the good of them who love God. Do you love the Lord? Are you the invited into the kingdom? Yes, you are. Amen. He said they will be a recalibration. And I'm going I'm to bring it on down to this. He reminded me. In the Song of Solomon, chapter number 8, verse number 5, it says, Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? It's a picture of the church coming out of the wilderness. Can I tell you something, uh, church? The entire body of Christ worldwide has been cast into a deep, dark wilderness. Am I right about it? Amen. It's not just here. Nations are shutting down. Borders are being closed. People are being, excuse me, locked up in their home. Amen. Being totally shut down. Uh... Uh, that we're in a wilderness. But, but the prophet said, wait a minute. Who is that seed coming out of the wilderness? Go ahead and tell your neighbor we're coming out. Amen. Don't worry, we're coming out. We're coming out. After the wilderness works its work. Because what the wilderness does, it stops you from leaning on your systems. Huh? The wilderness stops you from leaning on your own understanding. And when you come out, you're leaning on the beloved. When you come out, your understanding is now being governed by him. Your strength is now upon him. Is anybody listening to me? Matter of fact, the reason the prophet said, who is this? Because I declare, Rosetta, amen, uh, according to your words you gave me a while ago, that you won't recognize this church when she comes out of the wilderness. She won't look the same. She won't be dependent upon her life and smoke and, and uh, social media and all the stuff that we do to have church, she's going to come out looking like Jesus. Leaning. Not leaning on my paycheck, not leaning on my 401k, not leaning on my president. This ought to be proof that our government does not have the power to hold us up. They never was designed to hold us up. We have one king. His name is King Jesus. And the world is in uproar. What's our president going to do? What's our president going to do? Hear me. Let me pull you back in. 
We have a king that is far above this president. Thank God for Trump and all he's trying to do. One good thing that's going to come out of this, for the first time in my lifetime, the Democrats and the Republicans are going to have to work together. Whether they want to or not. Hey, something about a common enemy to bring enemies, enemies together to attack the common enemy. He's going to recalibrate. He's recalibrating prayer lives. Faith, what we put our faith in and trust in. I want to deal with one last concept in short form. Is this the end? Did someone ask you, is this the end? Because nobody in this room has lived to see what we're seeing right now. Nobody. And we can't even see the magnitude of this crisis. It's the worst enemy ever known to man. He's invisible. You can't cut him with a sword. You can't shoot him with a gun. He's an internal enemy. And there is no government powerful enough. There ain't enough gold in the world to fight this enemy. He's, he's an irrespecter of persons. He attacks the poor and the rich. So no one is exempt. No social standing, no geographical location. Nothing can defend you from this enemy. And in two weeks, our lives was turned upside down. Now, I never have been one to do doomsday, but let's just get real for a few minutes before we go and probably be out by 12. Jesus said in the last days, these times are going to come. Matter of fact, write these scriptures down. I'm trying to give you some answers. Is this the end? Freddie, though, last year, you couldn't say some of the things I'm about to say, and it'd be relative. January. You couldn't say some of the things I'm about to say and be relative. January, we didn't have a point of reference for these scriptures. I'm going to read you. We had no point of reference at all. But God is such a God of mercy, there always comes a prequel before there's a sequel. Having said that, I want to read these scriptures. Write them down, Matthew 24, 6 through 8. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, diseases, plagues, earthquakes, in diverse places. And Jesus said, all of these things are the beginning of birth pain. So, I'm going to be so bold to answer that question. Is this the end? No. But I submit to you, it could be the beginning. It could be the beginning of the end. I want to give you a prophecy. Now, I got a prophecy a man told me from Romania, Catalina, when he was here. And since he's told me, it shook my world. And so I've contacted him. It's in the Romanian language. He's trying to get it translated in English to get it sent to me. I want it. But two weeks before anybody knew anything, they were in a prayer in Romania. And someone prophesied that the borders of countries were about to be shut down. Father wouldn't be able to get to son. Son wouldn't be able to get to father. You would be trapped in nation. Totally shut down. And Catalina said, I was thinking, wow, that's bold. Uh, how in the world could nations be shut down? And he just kind of took it at face value. But in the same prophecy, they said that there will be six more of these. Or they will be seven 
calamities that come upon the world before 2020. That's two years. 2022, I'm sorry. Two years. And it just shook my world. I mean, you can take it ever how you want it, of how you want to believe in the prophetic word. But the fact that the prophet prophesied and two weeks later they started shutting stuff down. And this scripture has been in my spirit. And for the first time in 13 years I preached on the coming of the Lord three weeks ago. That Jesus said, no, this is not the end. It's the beginning of birth pains. Last night in prayer, Kobe got a vision. I'm really wanting him to write it down and share it with you. And it was just really profound to me. But God reminded him that when God got ready to transport his church out of Egypt, it was one plague after another. And Egypt went into birth planes to give birth to spit out. A nation. <laughs> Systems begin to crumble. Uh, scholars says that the reason there was ten plagues is because there were ten major gods of Egypt that was attacked with every plague and when God proved that he was God above everything it gave birth to a nation that we are a part of today now I'm giving you some of my speculation may I submit to you this is not the end but I've never believed as much as I believe right now it could be the beginning of the end why Remember, we're not dealing with did God do it or not. We're dealing with what God uses to bring glory to his name. Because with every labor pain, you know it's getting closer. With every travail, mom, you know I'm about to give birth. The mercies of God. Are you following me? I preach to you out of 1st or 2nd Peter. Do not think God is slack concerning his promises as some men are. But he's long suffering not willing that any should perish. That these, these seasons of travail that this could be the beginning. That will come. I can tell you that for sure. And listen to me now. There will come a day according to this scripture to where it will be illegal to go to church. Not because there's a disease. Because God is hated. Amen. Whether it's before the rapture or after the rapture, it's irrelevant to me right now. I'm just telling you, our Bible says they will lock you up, they will behead you, they will crucify you, they'll kill you, amen, and stop you from buying things if you're a Christian. We never had a point of reference of that till right now we caught one little glimpse of it. Are you following me? One little glimpse of that if there is six more coming, not only will the retailer run out of food, but the wholesaler will run out of food, and there will be such a shortage. All of that is so possible and so scriptural. Come on, I'm talking to my body. I hate I'm online, but I'm talking to my body right now. <clears throat> so in prayer... I felt God, God released me to tell you, no, this is not the end, but it very well could be the beginning of the end of God capturing the tension of multitudes of prodigals. We have testimony in this house right now of prodigals that's already calling saying, is this the end? Thank you. Thank you. Is this the end? And you know what it does? It wakes up hearts. It shakes us to our core and the mercy of God is saying, come home. Come home. Are y'all following me? I have the privilege of standing in this pulpit today in the most unique time that's ever been to let you know. Amen. Jesus said, just because you've seen all them wars don't mean it's over. But let me tell you, this is the beginning of birth pains. I need to encourage you, prayer warriors, you're about to go to deeper levels of prayer. In travail, in travail, 
of birthing sons and daughters into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I told you I was going to close out with this. So I want to close out with all of that in your spirit now. That's my job as your pastor. I want to close out with the, the prayer that us elders had. And we just humbled ourselves before God and said, God, we want to know what you're saying. That's what we want. Scott Mercer, the prophet of this house, that's just training and learning and growing in it of hearing from God. Uh, that when he began to pray about it, he brought to, to the group that when he began to pray against it, that God said, no, no, now wait a minute, you can't just pray a generic prayer here. A blanket prayer was the words he used. You can't just pray a bl blanket prayer. Because God spoke to him and said that they are some milestones or markers that he wanted to achieve in this process. That it would be a turning point to be forever remembered for the church. So I'm trying to teach you how to pray now. Do we pray against death and destruction? Absolutely. We don't want anybody to die. Amen. But it can't be that blanket prayer. We got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and be partnering with God in praying that some significant recognizable markers change the trajectory of the church. Are y'all catching this prayer warriors? So that's how you begin to pray. Father, help us partner with what you're doing. And as he said that, we were in prayer and just praying in the Holy Ghost. And God led Kamal to these scriptures. Write them down. Matthew 16, 21 through 28. Oh, you ought, to, you ought to be so grateful that you got praying elders that seek in the face and the will of God for us in here. In the midst of that, he gave him the scriptures in Matthew 16. And it's when Peter, Jesus was entering into the greatest crises of his life. He was about to be killed. And he was about to be crucified. But his right hand man, Peter, rebuked Jesus. He rebuked him, the Bible says, and said, no way. I will not allow you to go through this. And Jesus turned around and rebuked Peter. And said, get me behind me, Satan, for you have the mind of man, not the mind of God. Are you following me? I need you to put all this together. So what Peter wanted to stop from happening, Jesus stopped him from that level of prayer. And said, I must walk this road because multitudes are going to be saved. Are y'all, is it clear? This is the theme of prayer. Then he gave Josh... Isaiah 49, 6 through 13. But I, if you're going to go into that chapter, I need you to go on into that chapter. In Isaiah 49, 6 through 13, it's God saying that I'm so going to turn this thing that your sons and daughters are going to come from the north, south, east, and the west. It's just, it's just amazing. And, oh, you know, I forgot. The first one that spoke up was myself when we all began to pray of what we were seeing and what I saw was, the first thing I saw was the prodigal son in the hog pen. And he had come to himself and started climbing out. And God said that, oh yeah, and I got to tie that with you. Come on, stay with me. God said because of a depletion a depletion of the system he trusted in, he came to himself and said, I got to get back to God's house. So I spoke up and said, God says they're coming home. When they realize their hope is not in this world, they're coming home. And if you'll keep reading the scriptures I gave you that Kamal shared, it goes from Jesus rebuking Peter for having the mind and said, if you gained the whole world and lost your soul, what does that profit? So what God showed Kamal is through this, the value system's going to be turned upside down so it will be right side up. That even in the church and in the world that our value wouldn't be put on a paycheck, the American dream, 
us just making a living, creating businesses, going our way, doing our thing. But through it all, it'll be so restored to put the right value on my relationship with God, not some title I have on a job. Am I making sense to everybody? I'm not preaching. I'm just sharing. I told them I wanted you to be up to date with our prayer time. So this is the way God's got us praying, that there be milestones set, markers which we, don't, we can't identify yet, established through this crisis that forever change the process or, or, or our programs or the way we do church. The ship they were sailing on had to be crushed, but they got on a brand new ship and went to their destiny. I, I just need to encourage you with some hope. I don't know how bad it's going to get, but I do know this, we win. I mean, that may sound cliche, but we're coming out the other side. It may seem like we're snake bit. It may seem like we're having to paddle and kick our feet and don't even know the island we're going on. It may be so, I mean, it's unfamiliar, uncharted territory. But didn't God warn us, Joshua? Joshua 1 and 2 and 3, you've never been this way before, so you got to be led by the Spirit. So is this the end? No, it's the beginning. I keep getting bolder and bolder. I keep saying it could be, but now I'm going to say it's the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the end. And God will use every calamity to bring thousands thousands of his people into the kingdom of God. Thank you for listening to Life Church podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.